Nyata, hello. It's Alison here from a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. This sermon was preached at Canberra Baptist Church on the 27th of June 2021. Like me, my mother was an ordained Baptist minister, but unlike me, she had endometriosis. Among other things, this meant that her menstrual periods were excruciatingly painful, and they came upon her without warning in great floods. And so my childhood is studded with high-stress memories of her periods suddenly starting while we were out. There'd be an intake of breath, and then a quick hissed exchange between my parents, and then a frantic search for a public toilet before disaster struck. One evening, Mum came home from a deacon's meeting in tears, and she went straight to the bathroom. When she came out, she explained she had been chairing the meeting when she'd unexpectedly hemorrhaged and went through her clothes in an instant, but she couldn't bear to tell anyone. So she spread out her files and continued on as if nothing had happened. When the meeting finished, and I thought they'd never stop chatting, she said, she stayed sitting until the last deacon had left, and then she told the hosts what had happened. They commiserated, they fetched towels, and she stood to survey the wreckage. I nearly died, she told us. It was a white linen couch. I once told this story to a group of ministers, and a woman said, Oh, that's like my miscarriage. It was a Sunday morning, and she was at church, robed in white, doing final preparations for the service. Just before it started, she nipped into the bathroom, and she found her pants were full of blood. The bells were ringing. What could she do? She quickly bundled up some toilet paper, tucked it in her pants, and then marched out and led the service. But I was very careful to face the front, she said. Afterwards, while the congregation was chatting, she backed quietly into the vestry and took off her robe. It took weeks to scrub out the blood, she told us. I had to scrub it over and over again, but it took years to grieve. It was so surreal, so awful, I couldn't even admit what had happened for a very long time. These stories remind me of an image in Revelation. A great multitude, robed in white, is singing praises to God. An elder asks rhetorically, Who are these people? And then explains that these are the ones who have suffered, and who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. But I think of my mother and the white couch, and the priest who miscarried in her white robe, and my own irregularly bleeding body and how I rarely risk wearing white. I think of how many 12-year-old girls go on the pill to ensure that they're never inconvenienced by menstruation. I think of women with fistulas who are kicked out of their villages, and girls who experience FGM with rusty razor blades, and people of all genders who are raped, and who, no matter how long and hot their showers, feel like they're never truly clean again. And I think of the woman who bled for 12 years, and of Jairus's daughter at the onset of Menses. And I think, no, this liturgical image really doesn't work for me. I know how shameful it feels to bleed. I know how hard it is to scrub out blood. What sort of crazy person washes white robes in blood? 
Well, it doesn't feel like an image for ordinary people living in ordinary leaky bodies. And bodies are everywhere in the reading from the Gospel of Mark. At the heart of the story, we have the body of the hemorrhaging woman who for 12 years has been bleeding. She's literally untouchable. No hugs, no handshakes, no gentle caresses. It's so lonely, it's a living death. And she's spent everything she has. First on doctors, then naturopaths, herbalists, homeopaths, Chinese medical specialists, spiritual healers, every sort of quack. But still she bleeds. Still she repulses everyone she meets. She's been kicked out of home. She can't show a face in church. She's bankrupt, homeless, kind of crazy, and she's got almost nowhere to wash. Bloody hell, you might be thinking, and you'd be right. Her life is a bloody hell. Then there's a body of Jairus's 12-year-old, on the brink of menstruation and at the point of death. And there are also the bodies of Jesus and Jairus, and surrounding them are the bodies of the crowd, so many that they're pressing in. It's into this thick mess of bodies that the hemorrhaging woman pushes hers. She isn't supposed to be there. In that time and place, anyone who had a seeping body, anyone bleeding or with a leaky prostate or weeping sores or any form of uncontrollable bodily emission, anyone like that was believed to be unclean and contagious. Those who touched them, or any object they'd touched, would also become unclean and contagious and have to go into quarantine for a week. And the same rules applied to anyone who touched a corpse. These rules were part of a system of purity laws, a system which clearly sorted people into clean and unclean, pure and impure, righteous and unrighteous. And impure Unclean, untouchable people were strictly forbidden from mixing with the crowd or from participating in any communal event. So by pushing through the crowd, the woman was breaking purity laws and contaminating everyone. Had she been recognised, she might have been stoned to death. But she has no life to speak of, no one to live for, nothing to lose. And this is why she dares. And she dares to be there. She dares to hope that in this man Jesus, she will find healing. She reaches out to touch, just to touch his clothes. And as her fingers brush the cloth, straight away she knows healing is already hers. She can feel it in her body. All is made well. But Jesus, well, he feels the healing power leaving his body. And he speaks. He could have just left things there. A healed woman free to scuttle away. But he doesn't. Instead, he tries to work out who touched him. And shaking, she comes forward. And as the gospel writer tells us, she told him the whole truth. Now, I wonder what she told him. I wonder what the whole truth entailed. Would she have named her loneliness and anguish, her isolation and sense of shame? 
would she have listed the doctors and their exorbitant fees? Would she have told him how difficult it is to wash blood out of white linen and how quickly it begins to smell in a hot climate? Would she have explained the ordinary daily pressures on women in ministry or in the workforce or at a high school with a light summer uniform, let alone when bodies do what bodies so often do? Did she weep? We will never know. But we do know what Jesus said. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now by calling her forward and by saying these words, Jesus does something extraordinary. He shows that his love, his healing and his compassion are more powerful than the things people believe are contagious. And he completely rejects the purity laws. And just in case anyone misses this, he then goes to another beloved daughter, now dead, touches her supposedly untouchable corpse, and he raises her to life. Now you might think this all has very little relevance to us. We don't have purity codes set down in law. We don't formally quarantine menstruating women or people with open sores. But I invite you to consider, how comfortable have you been with my discussion of menstruation and women's bodies? How easily would you turn to your neighbour and mention your leaky prostate, a massive haemorrhoid, a pelvic floor destroyed by a difficult childbirth? How many people know you are HIV positive? Who's aware that you regularly attend a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a support group or a 12-step program? Do people know about your childhood abuse or trauma or troubled family history? How easily do you sit with deep grief, your own or another person's? How readily would you admit that you can't afford to keep up with the Joneses? And if you hemorrhaged at a deacon's meeting, would you want everyone to know? In fact, there are many areas of life which we instinctively know can make us untouchable. They're often shrouded in secrecy or shame. They may not be formally codified, but at a gut level, we understand that to mention them is to risk rejection, and to hear about them is to face the choice of whether to engage or back away. In our culture, we usually skirt around ordinary bodies, particularly those with menstrual, menopausal or prostate issues, or with chronic illness. We skirt around mental illness, particularly when it generates disturbing behaviours. We skirt around childhood abuse and family violence and addiction, especially to porn. We skirt around grief, both acute and for losses deemed ambiguous, like miscarriage or unwanted childlessness or singleness. We skirt around poverty, especially in relation to our peers. We skirt around loneliness, and I'm sure you can think of other areas. But the thing is, not one of these things is too much for Jesus. Not one of these things repels him. No stigma, no taboo is more powerful than his love, his compassion, and his healing. For not only did he touch and heal a dead girl and a hemorrhaging woman, but he himself endured and overcame 
the most shameful death, crucifixion, with all its terror and God-forsakenness and screaming pain and blood and feces and tears. And in fact, it's precisely through his death and resurrection that Christ brought about fullness of life and reconciliation and wholeness for all. And wholeness is what it's all about. For Jesus invites the hemorrhaging woman to step out of the crowd and to tell her story. Her physical condition is already cured. The Gospel writer tells us this, but Jesus wants more for her. Twelve years of living in the shadows, shunned and silenced, has profoundly shaped her. He wants the wounds of suffering, shunning and shame to be healed also. So he invites her to step up, and the woman is faced with a choice. To slip away, quietly cured, or to risk something more. Well, she takes a risk. She comes forward trembling, and to her surprise, she receives not a shaming, not a rebuke, but a blessing. A blessing of wholeness and of integration into God's own family. For Jesus calls her daughter and commends her faith and grants her peace. And I wonder, do we have her courage? Are we willing to come before God and tell the whole story? Not just the nice bits, but the hard, the painful and the shameful parts of our lives. And are we a people which allows and honours those parts, those stories, in other people? For it's only when we bring our whole selves that Christ can take the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly, the light and the dark, and integrate us into a messy, beautiful whole. So let us bring our leaking, weeping bodies and our shadows and our shame and offer them all to Jesus. And as we do, perhaps we can even let strange liturgical metaphors wash over us. Perhaps as our suffering selves, our liturgical robes, our white linen couches and our dark and difficult hearts are washed clean through the blood of the Lamb, the one whom death could not overcome. Perhaps then we can raise our voices with the great choir of revelation. For as the elder continues, For this reason they are before the throne of God and they worship him day and night in the temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not scorch them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. To be fed, watered, sheltered, guided and comforted, these are God's promises to our suffering selves through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Tender God, we bring you our whole selves. Not just our Sunday best, but our awkward, leaky, lumpy bodies, our hidden sorrows, our suffering and our shame. Help us name our whole truth to you and help us honour the whole truth in other people that you might heal us and bless us and grant us your peace. For through your precious Lamb you reconcile all things, 
even us, even our shadows. In the name of Christ. Amen. This sermon was given to Canberra Baptist Church on the 27th of June, 2021. But I'm popping it up on the Sanctuary website, and there's always more to read there at sanctuarybaptist.wordpress.com. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters, and if you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal. And you can find the details for this on the website. The recording was made on the lands of the Eastern Ma Nation, whose people have been sharing story and keeping culture since time immemorial. And I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Peace be with you all. Amen.